Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today's guest is Sasha Putnam. Welcome to the show. Delighted to be here, Stuart. Thank you for inviting me on. Brilliant. Absolutely delighted. Now, we've come to talk about a new album that you've put together. You're, you're, a, you're, a, you're a composer who does film scores, and you've done an album called Spirit of Cinema. Do you want to, do you want to just let people know what, that, what that's all about and what's on it? Yeah, what it was, um, I was, I grew up in rock and roll, really. Um, so, you know, all, all the bands coming through, all the early days of, uh, of, of, what's the right way of saying this? Uh, you know, the early films I grew up with were rock and roll. It, that'll be the day, Stardust. Uh, do you remember the, there was a whole Ken Russell era where suddenly went into Wagner list? And really, my career, my musical career, mirrored all the people that I met and then bang I bumped into Giorgio Moroder who was extraordinary um and Vangelis who completely changed my life went into synthesis realized that the, you didn't need the symphony orchestra anymore you could do it on your own the only thing is at that stage I'm 11 12 years old I'm not getting my hand on a 5,000 pound synthesizer but what I used to do is at the weekend there was a great guy called Paul Tattersall and I used to spend every bit of money I had on hiring equipment for the weekend. Anyway, I'm getting off the question. The truth is, these themes um, I grew up with, what I wanted to do after spending many years at Berkeley and in Russia, so, you know, suddenly getting my orchestral chops together, I wanted to, what's the right word? I wanted to set them in stone with uh, the orchestra. So I wrote to all the people, asked them if they you know, minded me doing all this stuff. They said, absolutely fine. Real labor of love. A decade later, I've got all of these tracks um, for after many, many versions, um, compiled them together. And on there, I've got Mike Oldfield, uh, who did the score for Killing Fields, uh, three Vangelis tracks, um, uh, what we got? We've got Eric's theme. We've got the main theme from Chariot Sophia, Abraham's theme. Uh, two tracks from Giorgio Moroda, again, Oscar winning score, uh, Love's theme, beautiful scene in the movie, and the theme from Midnight Express, everyone knows. I mean, it was a massive hit album. Um, Rachel Portman from War of the Buttons. Uh, who else have we got on there? Uh, George Fenton from Memphis Bell. What I've done is, a, I think, a lovely kind of piano concerto version of Danny Boy, uh, London Derriere. And what else is, God, I've forgotten what's, what else is on there. There's a few. Oh, and then suddenly I went way back to rock and roll. So I've got the Bee Gees, 1st of May. Um, and Donovan, who actually is a fantastic um, music savant. Um, great, great career. Um, that, you know, actually really, really interesting guy when you look at the history. With a great song called Sailing Homeward which, again, I'd had to slightly tinker with to make it really work with the orchestra, but has done really, really well. That was like one of the first singles that came out. Amazing. It's done like 50,000, 60,000 streams already. Um, but I think they really work. So what, what I'm trying to say is, is that I think usually classical composers would always be dipping into their Elgar, Vaughan Williams, and don't get me wrong, I love them, and I steal from them and Stravinsky all the time. I mean, they're great. Um, but what we needed to do was move forward and look at the themes of Vangelis, themes of pop themes, bring them to the orchestra. And I think I think it's a really successful album. I really do. I mean, Vangelis always said to me, success is marching to your own drum. 
Success isn't whether it does well or not. What it's done for me is instilled why these theme, why these films, um, uh, why the film soundtracks were so successful. And it is comes down to, again, themes, because a theme can translate to rock and roll, can translate to electronics and can translate to the orchestra as well. So how can people get hold of, of the uh, of the CD? Well, it's it's on Spotify, it's streaming everywhere. Um, and also, if they want to, they can really help me out by downloading it. It's on Amazon, on, you know, all where, where, where all the records have gone these days. And what I think what I'll do in February, once COVID's coming out, I'm going to do some live shows and I'm going to print some vinyl. I want to do some vinyl and some CDs. And of course, Stuart, that will be flying its way to you and give some away to your to your listeners. Uh, but I think that's, a you know, it's, it's interesting. Rosie, my wife and I, just got got ourselves a turntable and i'm loving the what that does to you as a listener you know david bowie always talked about you know that 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 music would become like water you just switch it on there is something about taking an album out putting on side a and letting it go being reminded that you need to go over the record player to turn it over to side b it's a ritual now there's 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 a sense of being present isn't there with the music when you play sense of being present you're at, do you know what? That's beautifully put. It's it's a sense of really paying attention to the musicians and the music that's been created on this piece of uh, media. I think sometimes it's it, we've we've. I mean, the Bowie idea of of it being like water is 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 often very true in terms of, you know, when I'm when I'm working, I will just put a playlist on of. I mean, I'll, I'll choose a genre or something. It might be instrumental African music or dark metal or whatever it is that's the mood I want to get. But I'm not really choosing what to listen to i've let somebody else put the list together of it's just a sound that i need to stop me hearing the silence <laughs> fantastic well I'll, I'll, i better send you a spirit of cinema uh, playlist and you could just keep playing that that will help us out i think what have you got to do you've got to do about 500 themes to uh, to get a tenor so that we'll, yeah, we'll get a bag of chips at the end of that it'll be good but it's i'm i'm i'm, I'm but just to finish off it, i'm really proud of it it's also really saying thank you to my dad who um, never pushed me off to daycare or anything like that. We were always involved as kids. And I think that's down to the confidence of him. Uh, We were on set and there's nothing like learning by doing and even being a fly on the wall. You know, you you get to see it, you get to experience it. That's real education, you know, and, and the mistakes, you know, the things that go wrong, that really teaches you how to avoid them. Now, obviously, you've, you, the, the the tracks you've chosen are, are are very very identifiable. You know, they're 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 classics in their own right as a piece of music. They're classics as music that's attached to film. They, they, you know, many of many of them on it. You, people may have only heard them without seeing the film. It's, it's sort of they're, they're such fantastic pieces of work. Um, but but something you said to me when we were when we were in the preamble of this a week or so ago was this idea of music as a signifier of a film's identity, which I mean, thinking of the classic Chariots of Fire, and we not to repeat myself, but the audience won't have heard this, but the the idea that Vangelis has made music there that is forever forever and a day now will will be the sound of running. You know, he's <laughs> the idea of, and also he's managed to tinge it with the sound of victory. You know, all, uh, and that's all. In, and I'm I'm talking about a piece of music which is ephemeral, but yet because it was married with that piece of action in the film, and then it's been it's been utilized and co opted. For the same but different reasons, it's cemented itself as the sound of that, which is quite amazing for something that's that's basically you know notes and a 
notes and instruments. Stuart, going into it as a musician, and probably I've spent too long on the minutiae of music, but there are some, you know, uh, uh, there are some classic ideas that 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 uh, Vangelis has brought up. The rising fifth. I've got piano here, but the um, you know that since Wagner has always signified that's the hero. That is the hero. So Wagner's tap and Wagner, Vangelis is tapping into that something that you and I and our ancestors, it brings the hairs in our back of our the necks up, because it always has. That's what it does. Um, but th- I think what was interesting, if you look at that film in particular, they tempt it with a Vangelis track called L'Enfant, which was it's actually one of the first things I played. And it worked beautifully. And Hugh was like, no, no, don't change it. It works beautifully. Um, Vangelis, what's interesting, this is where my dad's quite clever, was very clever, is that Vangelis's dad was a runner. He was never quite of the Olympic uh, standard, but he was a sprinter. And Vangelis had just lost his dad. He just died. And it's a very... It's a very creative moment loss in any artist, whether you've lost a lost your love or you've lost your lost a, a relative even more. And Vangelis was burning to do that requiem for his dad, so he knew that this was. It was all it's absolutely lovely, but suddenly, you know, suddenly that's his dad coming up, and you can you can you know. It was it was one of those really, let's say, lucky moments. It's just one of those moments of history. And what Vangelis would say is if he was scoring chariots today, it would be different. I was going to say, because what, you, what you've just described there is that he's, 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 not, he's, he's sort of fired it at our heart, but straight from his own heart at the same time. From his, from his own heart. In fact, if, again, because I go into too much minutiae, if you listen to it, you can almost even hear the, 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 the breeze from the beach really listening you can almost hear the there's the tinkles i mean all of these lovely things that he, he plays he's a huge percussion player as well uh so much detail in there but the um uh, and that lovely rhythm you know it was again that's the lovely that the the rolling beach the rolling rhythm you know artists writers you know you you come up with with words with for hugh you know that rolling beach oh there's another lovely thing you see another bit of a happy accident what was the very first shot of chariots was done on a really sunny day okay that was the first shot the beach scene they had a hair in the gate catastrophe i mean that's why in films you have insurance because they just spent a whole lot of money on that day boom hair in the gate means they've got to reshoot it and, and you know they were tearing their hairs out they suddenly got to the end of the shoot go up go back up to st andrews with the insurance money gray day horrid gray day i mean fortunately not raining shoot the same thing how much better is that scene because of that gray I mean, the sunny day would not have been quite the same vibe. And again, no, that's no. Ju- that's, yeah, uh, if we're taking the kids for a day out, of course you want the sunny day. On camera, the grey day, the way it all blends, I mean, it's magic. It gives it an earthy quality, which is we, we concentrate on the subject, not on, the, not on the, everything that's sparkling around them.
obviously tackling such such iconic pieces of work and obviously your your, fa- your father being involved with these films you growing up with these fil- with these filmmakers and these and these musicians um but but you know which composition did you approach with the most intrepidation because obviously you respect the pieces of work and obviously you must have had a list about as long as your arm before you got it down to these so in terms of the ones you chose and then when you set about recording them you know what? What did you approach with the most trepidation as a, as a you know? Because you're a composer yourself, so you're 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 tackling someone else's work. You want to do it justice. In a way, I've got the safety of their beautiful themes. The one that was most difficult was the the score I did with my dad called um, Confessional, which uh, was actually a really really good movie. Um, which I I sort of I redid it for the album. That was that's the hardest because it's something that I've written and it's something that you know it's my baby and so of course i have the most uh what's the right word the the most the most emotion in it it's easy when it's someone else's theme and in fact my wife keeps telling me off she goes stop doing these other people's themes all the time you know you write write your own stuff and she's right she's absolutely right when i went to play them for vangelis it's funny because he's uh he's such a strong artist he's such a confident man and that's actually what you need as a film composer number one you need confidence um and i'm playing for him and what i'd done is i've actually i'd actually reharmonized his a theme what did i do so i'd like i'd reharmonize everything i'm looking at his face and i can see him sort of giving me the side eye <laughs> because I've not been exactly faithful to what he'd done. But sometimes in the orchestra, you know, the difference is Vangelis works on this idea of instinctual, um, instinctive, sorry, instinctive uh, uh, composition, which I think I'm a very big follower of. I think you do get, we, we, we're brilliant as much better than computers, our, our, our instincts. Um, but when you're playing, when you're writing for an orchestra, it's very thought about. You know, suddenly you've got to make the arrangement, you've got to write it out. Each player, you hire the player. It's not quite the same as sitting in your home studio, which I, I love doing as well. So I had to give it a bit more motion. Um, that suddenly I haven't, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't got that anymore, and that doesn't really work. So I needed to throw some emotion into it, and I think you know that's where Vangelis and I suddenly move into different areas. I wanted to uh, discover the nuts and bolts of everything. He's very much—I would call him a real artist. He's a mystic, actually, and even as a man, when you talk to him, when you talk to him about life, he's just an absolutely deep mystic. And I am a—I have to work for every single nugget of gold that I find. So I, I really like to know the nuts and bolts. I'm a nightmare, Stuart, when I'm scoring a movie because I, I do about eight to ten versions of every scene just for myself. That's even before I've shown it to a director. I wouldn't do that to them because they wouldn't, I wouldn't want them to have the worry of choosing so many uh, options. But the, one of the problems with getting so schooled is that you know that the options are out there. And what you try and do, I try and simplify, simplify, simplify before the director comes in and I go, boff, there it is. And so I'm feeling confident in, in the choice. So anyway, I've gone a roundabout way. The difficult one was the confessional on there. But um, what I've done is I've put two pieces together. I've put um, what was a piece that was called The Unraveling. It's a very, very complex uh, f- uh, story, but well worth watching. Robert Lepage, director. And uh, so I've put these two pieces together, the unravelling and um, the past and the present. I think it works. I think it's good. 
recorded at Abbey Road as well. Now, reading the um, the information that comes with with the with the album about which sort of gives a potted history of yourself as a musician. Um, um, it was fascinating, a to read your uh, your crossing paths with uh, Gavin Rossdale pre pre Bush. Um, now that made me think, and and this may be too esoteric, but 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 see what you can come up with as an answer to it. What can rock learn from film composing, and what can film composing gain from an appreciation of rock as part of its armory? Oh Jesus, that's a whole other podcast. We need to start a whole other series. But you know what? There's a lot classical music can learn from rock. There really is, and rock is feel, isn't it? When you get a guitar player, it's the same chords. It's so it's feel. And what I did notice quite early on when I moved onto the orchestra was not so much with the younger players now, but the older players, no groove, absolutely no understanding of what groove was. But what they are brilliant at is these beautiful singing legato lines and a beautiful sound. Groove just evaded them. So when we did War of the Buttons on the album, it's interesting because Rachel, I played it for Rachel Portman, who's a lovely composer. Um, and she was like, well, how'd you get that groove? How did you get... Dum, 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 dum? Could we got that? Richard and I worked so hard with the, with the orchestra just trying to say to them, no, 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 this is feel it, feel it. You've got to feel it. And again, I studied as a conductor for a long time. You've got to lead the orchestra. You've got to show them. You've got to dance in front of them. Show them how it's done. The old music of Wagner, you don't need to do that. It's not very groovy. But we're moving into a whole new area now. I, do you remember 300? I went to see it in an IMAX uh, cinema with a friend of mine. Oh, my God. It was like, oh, of course, guitars. Well, they're here to stay now. So, you know, the whole thing with film music is is distilling everything that's at our disposal and using it well and, and actually using it simply. I mean, the funny thing is, Stuart, the, 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 the thing I've learned at this age in my life is I've gone all around the houses to learn stuff so that when I get into the position where someone's asking me, I can be simple. But I probably could have made that same decision when I was 10, but I wouldn't have had the confidence to stand by it. So what the whole education thing is to throw away all the stuff that you've got and be really simple and do three blind mice again, you know, but just do it in exactly the right way. So it sits. You look at any kind of architects, all that same time stuff. What do you do? You, you get trained and you throw it away and you go, right, how can I do this as simply as possible? And I think even music needs to get there now. As much as streaming has really hurt the, the record industry, it's only really financially. What's happened is people have made, the, people want Einaudi. They want something really, really simple. They're very happy with it. It set, absolutely sets the tone. You know, they list. You know, they just, that's not the feeling of now. The feeling of now is absolutely. You know, you, you set you set a tone, off you go, and then you know that gives you the palette to then suddenly put your melodies on. And again, the other thing is texture now, because again, you've just said in your playlist you've got African or whatever, you know, which whichever Cora players or whatever. The texture now is everything. And we can take from absolutely everywhere. It's not just the orchestra, not just synthesizers anymore. Um, my wife and I are watching something great at the moment. It's called, you have to stay with it. First one wasn't great. The next ones were great. It's called The Alienist. And uh, Harry Gregson, no, Harry, it's not Harry, it's his brother, Rupert. Is it Rupert Gregson? Williams? 
oh my god you know these people absolutely the top of their game um lovely sounds each character you know having this sort of you know this lovely dry up front um london um actually no where, where are they in london no they're in new york forgive me but they're in new york at sort of the 1900s early 1900s and the way that he's describing that character is much more textural than the thematic and actually this here's the full circle now so vangelis always taught me about themes he was always like you've got to have a theme for that person so that if someone's thinking about them you just got close up on their face you can play that theme and you know exactly who they're talking about and he's absolutely right these days though we're so filmically uh what's the right word we our film sense is so tuned that actually you just need a texture and uh, there's another guy I know very well, uh, Atticus Ross, who works with Trent Reznor. Um, they got it down to a T as well. I mean, I think there's a whole load of composers who just come in after them. But what they had was that lovely confidence that a rock star has, you know, like Trent Reznor, uh, to do to actually just come in with a sound. Or what Atticus would do was come in with the hammers of a piano rather than the piece of the piano. So we're in we're in a we're in a great new area now, and there's you know great new composers coming up. So really, Spirit Cinema was wrapping up all of that great, um, uh, all those great composers, all that great uh, new filmmaking, and saying and in a way pushing past it now and getting ready for the new. Well, I was I was fascinated with you with your description of um, sitting in with Mark Knopfler at the Oxford Street. They were the old Air Studios, and and you mentioned you mentioned in particular the legendary engineer Neil Dorfman, and and what that made. Then I, I thought, well, for, for the aspiring composer listening into this, what for you is the importance of the engineer in your process of making music? You've got you've got um, Matt Howe and Joel Rubel on 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 your on this album working with you and Richard Cottle as producers. So what's the engineer bringing that's important to the to the outcome to the final outcome? Okay, well this is a perfect example. I'd been working I'd been tapping up uh, Knopfler for his British Grove Studios. It costing me a fortune. It was like I think it was usually they go for a grand and a half. I'd managed to whittle them down to like 900 quid. But still, that was for a day and so you're just, you know, you're you're trying to get as much done as possible. Matt suddenly turned to me and goes, I know this lovely place, East London, it's called Henrywood Hall. It's going to be a pain in the ass because we'll have to move a mobile out there. But the sound of it's amazing. Anyway, so I listened to him. We moved over there. Orchestra starts up. Oh, my God. Whole different feeling of the, the, the just because of the building. The players didn't have to push so hard to get any kind of resonance off the building. That's what that's what engineers bring. Um, uh, and also, I'm just working with a lovely guy, Jeff, at the moment. Um, Jeff, w when I do my film scores here and I send them to him, as soon as he gets, sends them back to me, there's a depth there. Uh, there's, it's like a 3D quality. And you can buy plugins that sort of say, yeah, 3D quality. You can put them onto 3D quality. But it's not quite the same as Jeff with his... All the tools that he's worked, he's you know he's cobbled together over all the years, putting it through all that stuff and then giving it that three D quality. And you know what the other thing is because of budgets, we're missing that collaborative uh, part. Even when I'm sending my stems to Jeff, it's making me rethink: Is this right? Have I got this as as right as I possibly can? 
So, you know, I think sometimes we're, we're forced to a lot of the time when we're on our own. How hard do we push ourselves? If I'm sending you something, Stuart, you might say, to, you know, suddenly I have to be a lot more organized about it and just much, much more methodical. And I can, you know, I can I can focus on what it is that I have to do right, which is the notes, the the playing of it, the performance. I can then send that over to someone else to mix. But that's luxury. But but I, I think I've earned it after 35 years in film film, film scoring. <laughs> but 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 it's it's fascinating that you would that in in the day and age of convenience and technology that you would go to the trouble of bringing musicians into the room. Uh, and, and and actually, it wasn't a question I thought about before I spoke to you. But now you've said it, it makes me think that in a way, what's the difference between you as a multi-instrumentist putting it all together and then presenting it as one performance and an orchestral performance being recorded? What do you get from that mass collaboration that is that is that, is, that becomes more interesting than what could be done without all that expense? It's, it's very real, Stuart. It really is. Uh, you know, it's that terrible thing you get what you pay for. I've got pretty much the best. In fact, I've just come off the phone with Christian Henson, who's got Spitfire. And I use loads and loads of their stuff to, to demo. And it's brilliant. It really, really is brilliant. And it's been ages getting in under the hood of the whole thing. But when you take that and you play it, you, you take it to a good orchestra. You know, there's a lot of people go over to Bulgaria and the places and there you have to do eight takes uh, in order to get the same thing you would get in two takes if you did it in London or Los Angeles. But um, what you get is you get a piece of history. You also you still have to fire up the musicians because some of the, you know some of them are coming in they've had a hard day they've had a they've had an argument with their partners whatever you've still got to fire them up so that when they're playing that Vangelis you know they're playing it as if it's the first time and the you know this this time really matters but you get a piece of history and and what the engineers tell me you get moving air you get moving air I mean I, I'm trying to let me just move it over to animation because I love all the Pixar. I love all the animation. It, you know, there you've got a computer-generated character, but somehow you feel for them, and I guess that comes from the voice. I'm wondering if you would get that same thing if it wasn't a real actor bringing that character to life, and that's sort of what I think of with an with an instrument. Could you fake that? Could I get some robotic voice to do Wally? And still get that human response. I'm not sure. You're speaking my language. I think. I think because the thing is that you know, for all of what, what inroads digital has made in terms of the, the the mass production, the mass distribution of music, it hasn't been able to replace. And people have tried it. You know, live streaming of gigs and stuff. There's nothing to replace being in a room while it's being played for you. Completely. Absolutely. You know, right. If there's anything, if anything mediates it between it being played and you hearing it then you lose something. Whereas if you're in the room and obviously you're, when you're recording, you're there, you're hearing it performed and then capturing that. So in a way you're like, you say, you're right. You're, 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 it's a moment in history, isn't it? As, as much as it's some piece of music. I used to, uh, when I was touring with Bush, I used to always record and film the, um, uh, the shows just because I wanted to get better and better and better. And some of our best shows, if you actually listen to the recording, it's not really that great at all but the show 
was amazing because it's much more than just the you know the hitting the right notes or you know whatever whatever's going on there's a lovely uh, woman who passed away recently she was about 103 or something talking about her best concerts ever you know she would go down to the Wigmore Hall and she said uh, I think it was Murray Pariah playing Beethoven so many wrong notes but it didn't matter it was about it was completely about the performance and and it's that it's that moment we sort of feel we're so used to uh, recordings um that we never get that fifth gear get the fifth gear live which actually brings me to something else being part of film um we used to be a little bit quite snobbish about um about theater and my wife works in theater so she when we were dating we she was we were going out to theater a lot and suddenly i got it there's a fifth gear live. The even film, even a good film, you never get there. Because if you watch it, you've got exactly the same thing. There's something about coming out of a theatre that will never be replicated again. Or going to see the symphony or going to see, you're going to see a rock band. There's something about that night. You were there. Your friends were there. The way, whatever you had, the drinks you had, the vibe. There's, that's, that's, the, that's the irreplaceable. It feels like you, you, you're... Um... You sort of make it. You make you. You give me an appetizer for what for what we're missing at the moment in terms because of COVID. <laughs> you know, in terms of because it is. It's that because what you're talking about ultimately is 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 in a way, humans are quite simplistic, aren't we? You know, we we don't take much to feel good about ourselves, but but it takes a lot of skill from somebody else yeah, to yeah. to make that to be a catalyst for that to happen at the same time. So we appreciate that as well as the the base instinct of, oh, I feel warm or, oh, I feel excited or I feel angry or whatever. Um, and, and it's amazing how music... So thinking, thinking, thinking in terms of um, music as a signifier of, of a film's identity, which was that, 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 that the point you made when we spoke on the phone. That was a question we asked about 10 minutes ago. <laughs> Not at all. No, I like... I, I think the journey we've been on is brilliant. Um, but, but, but then thinking in terms of music is not a soundtrack. It's part of the action. It is a character to go on a journey with. As much as the, who the director points the camera at, the music is doing work as well. So when you're when you're when you're tasked with providing music for you know creating music and then providing it for film, how, how what should, how do you break it down in terms of you know the combination? Obviously, the director gives you a brief, I suppose, and you've got the image which is, speaks for itself to a degree. Um, but then then there's you and your ideas as to what happens. That's and that's you on your own then, isn't it, in a sense? Stuart, we touched on this before. Every director's different. You know, I, I worked with a lovely guy recently, Ben. Um, we were doing his, his film that he pretty much financed himself. He knew exactly what he wanted. And so what I did was I bought him in the studio literally every day. He knew he was really great at music as well. And we basically put the score on together. He knew exactly what he wanted. And that, you know, that, that was great. I really enjoyed that as well. It's a bit like, you know, the Spirit of Cinema album taking someone else's ideas and translating them it's quite it's really good fun there's other moments where um you yeah there's there's other moments where you really really do need to just just see what sticks and to sit with a film and 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 work out you know the 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 bit that's missing a lot these days as well is spotting a movie where a where a uh, where a cue starts and where it finishes is really important as well really really important and also that can change you know what what happens in the editing process is suddenly someone might go actually let's keep that running because it really works over the next scene can you see how this plays against the uh, against the action or the, the the inaction um so 
so you know the the idea of spotting and again i bump into especially some of the younger uh, uh, directors where we there's not doesn't even seem to be much of a discussion about spotting but really what you have to do is you become best friends and you really need to pretty much live together sit with the film try all sorts of stuff try really ridiculous ideas and you know what sometimes you get your best idea is you're having a quick you know burger together um you know thinking about something else you suddenly oh my god hold on what about why don't we try this go running in you know spend half an hour doing something realize it's a terrible idea but it sparks something else how do you break free though from the rules as it were because when you when i mentioned the the chariots of fire before you you sort of you rattled off on the piano like you know look this is this thing in the fifth it comes it rises how do you escape those rules while at the same time applying those rules? Because they, you know, the reason they're they're kind of rules is because they work. But but obviously you're trying to create something new. So how do you, how with that constraint, how do you go about the new, as it were? But I, but there, there's the uh, there's the really really big question, Stuart. You've actually the dagger dagger in the heart. How do you become so incredibly original? Well, the, the, I you know everything you 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 need to listen to uh, people all the time. Uh, at the moment, I'm completely uh, taken with this guy called Giancinto Scelsi, uh, who composer died in the eighties, and uh, no one paid him any attention. But fantastic music. Um, what you have to do is spend all your free time obsessively researching so that when you come in, your creative ideas are always coming from somewhere. Einstein always said, hide your, hide your sources. That's the key to creativity. It's, it's, have, it's being able to touch on all those things. So I'm, I'm um, coming back to the, the, the question, though. Uh, I, the film dictates what you want to do you know straight away as soon as i put a chord progression under something the character tells tells me tells the director tells everyone who's watching it no that's not that's absolutely not right at all i think it's you have to play this you have to slightly lose your ego and and you know it swings and roundabouts sometimes you've got to bully the film and put your piece on it as in taking a rolling stones uh, track like uh, scorsese does and throwing it on the film and brilliant the two of them absolutely work beautifully sometimes you just got to let the film whisper to you it tells you the characters tell you exactly what they need i mean it's interesting let's go back to chariots again ben cross uh, who played uh, abraham's uh, harold abraham's is a very it's not not the nicest character in the world he's going to win at any cost whereas the way that uh, um uh, that vangelis has scored him is so full of self-doubt do you remember so it's all of that so what is it i've got to if i can play it oh yeah play it up you know this love the most romantic theme that goes with this very very brittle character where someone like uh, 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 Abraham uh, Eric Liddell is played with something very very triumphant and uh, he's a very very modest man and, and I feel that what happens is you've got to, you've got to have watched a thousand films and I think that I think you've done that Stuart you know once you've it's weird this thing of originality originality comes from confidence really and if it's only when you've watched you know 5,000 films that you can really go, 
okay, I'm going to do something very, very new. I was going to say, I don't think, I don't think for one minute there's, I don't, I, I don't believe that original really exists anymore. I think it's, I think, you know, everything, everything is a work in progress on the, on any, everything you've experienced. I mean, obviously your life journey to this point and my life journey has, has sucked in a huge amount of influences that are variable. I mean, I remember Bob Dylan was interviewed one time and somebody said, how do I write a song as good as you? And he goes, you have to have read the same books as me in the same order. You have to have had the same parents. You have to have been to the same, you know, because they're all influences, whether you wanted them to be or not. You can't, it isn't a technical thing, is it? As such simply as this is how notes fit together. This is how beats work. This is how time signatures function. It's actually, you'll be recalling whatever, whatever you recall. And you might not even be conscious of it, I suppose, half the time, because if you were, you'd be going mad, wouldn't you? It'd be like a, it'd be like an instant replay. The other thing is, Stuart, is that film is a business, really. And I get that this is all comes from being a producer's son. You know, when people have put up their money to to do something, you want to give, you want to make sure you're getting them a return on that. You don't want to be, you know, if your parents suddenly lent you something for your opening a shop or something, you're not going out of your way to be have be a failure. You might not. I mean, you might you, you might do something really different to everyone and lose that money. And Vangelis would say, absolutely, you're following your path. Absolutely right thing to do. But very rarely do people come along and say, here you go. Here's a whole lot of funding. Do exactly what you want to do. I mean, it's a lovely idea. And probably in the 70s, they did a bit more, which is where all those great bands came from. You could go and play the student union. You could make a bit of a living and you could get up there and play whatever you wanted. I, I think it's a very creative. But these days, you know, it's not going to happen. Maybe this with all the technology, this is what people will start to come out with some really, really great new ideas. There are some great new musical artists going on. Uh, and you, you find them in the weirdest places as well. And there'd be about sort of 17 uh, coming up with stuff. And you wow. Where on earth does that come from? I mean, last person I saw who blew me away was um, Anthony and the uh, what was his, what was his what was I forgot his name? Anthony is some fantastic high voice again. Oh, Anthony the Johnsons. Yes, didn't give a shit about the audience whatsoever, but obviously created his own audience from that. I mean, these are the this very very special type of artist. As a film composer, you've got to come in and you've got to remember there's an audience sitting there. Don't signal too much. Don't tell them all the story before they've even sat down. Enthrall them, you know, and take them on a journey, and then dump them out at the, the other side, feeling great about the film or tragic or however how a director wants them to feel. That's a that's a skill on its own, and you've got to get every single piece of that right. It's a difficult journey. Um, uh, the, the, the audience is fairly forgiving. They won't forgive you on the first 10 minutes. You've got to get the first 15 minutes pretty nailed on. But once they're sitting there, they'll go with you. They'll take a couple of uh, experimental bits and pieces. You look at Good, the Bad and the Ugly. There's a couple of cues from Morricone that are really quite, whoa, pretty 20th century noise going on but because the the, or the whole family have been murdered and you know you're suddenly you're you're in a kind of a, a a mental terror anyway it all works beautifully some of some of the early barry uh bond cues are a bit hokey i mean listen i love john barry i feel bad saying that but you know do, 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 you know real kind of old uh you know pit, bit of pizzicato i was going back over some david axelrod stuff from the 60s late 60s and it's it stands that stands up today as good as it probably did then. It's it feels it feels timeless, you know, and it 
it has an energy to it, which I mean go, goes back to that point you said about about being able to bring a groove to the music, I suppose. Yeah, lovely. Um, you know, yeah, but just Stuart, just while because you've just made me think of another one. Get Carter. Da dum da dum, or the Lalo Schifrin coming in with dum 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 bum bum bum. It's a fantastic confidence to come in and do those things. Quincy Jones used to get it all the time, and lovely Quincy because he was just coming into uh, you know coming into film scoring from from being a producer really. Uh, goes off to see Michel Legrand, get some advice. You know, lovely people working together, helping each other. And suddenly his, uh, I mean, he's more British than British, isn't he? You've shared your admiration for Van Gelis uh, in, so far in this. And, and and it was really evocative. You described it as the first time you sort of went around to a studio and this this candy store of synthesizers. And and it really is an arresting image. So it, uh, in what way was he able to sort of mentor you as a musician and, and composer? What what did you get? What do you think you got from him? Is it, I mean, obviously you clearly admire him and his, and his, work, his, his music is, is amazing, but... For you as, a, as an artist yourself, what do you think you took from him, as it were? Do you know what I think it was, Stuart? I was so revered all the artists I was around. I just was easy to have in the studio. I didn't get in their way. I was just interested, and I think my energy was just exactly right. You know how you can have some people, I don't know if you, when you're writing, someone could be in the room, and you're absolutely fine with it. You can just write away, you're absolutely good. Someone else could be in the room, the energy is just wrong. So somehow, and I think I probably got this from my dad and being in um, and being in the cutting rooms all the time. You make yourself you, you're there, but you're not there. And there's a, there's a there's a skill in that. You know, you're not you help if someone wants a cup of tea. Yeah, go and get them a cup of tea. But basically, you're not there. And but you're and you're taking everything in, and you're obviously not falling asleep. I mean, someone fall asleep, you ruin the vibe there as well. So it's just a way of being. But Van Gelis didn't. It's not like he took any special attention. It's just he didn't mind me being around. Do you think though that sort of looking back on what you're able to sort of because the way you describe it there, then it's like it's like you're almost you're able to be like a musical sponge in some senses. Yeah, yeah, or, or, or what they used to call a tape up. You know, there's always a job I wanted to do, and uh, the lovely guy who used to have the studio next to me a guy called flood he got his name because he used to make so much tea i mean sometimes that is what you're doing you're lubricating all the artists while they work but what do you what do you think were even if they were subconscious what lessons learned have you took from that experience that you probably still even utilize to this day it's it you know mainly Stuart. i keep coming back to it and this is an old head now looking back it's confidence it's total confidence um, it's it's knowing that even though you've got uh, you know what, whatever limited equipment you've got, you're going to make that work. And also, you know, you see the people who are going to make it; they just are obsessive. It's not particularly a nice quality. You know, I have to I say sorry to my wife at least four or five times a day because I'm just obsessing over something that any normal person probably wouldn't obsess over. You know, or listening to details of a record, or pulling out some score to try and find out how it works. It's it's a it's a funny obsession, but it's 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 why we're artists. You know, that's that's the point. I'm obsessed. The idea that someone would say to me, "Oh, are you bored?" Oh my God, I I have no idea what being bored is. There's so much stuff to do. I'm like, Jesus, is that? Can I squeeze it all in this lifetime? Because I remember reading something about Kubrick where he said he. he he never wanted to sort of the idea that he had to do anything. He liked to sort of 
take his experiences and his influences as they came. So it's like it's almost like you found them yourself, as it were, as opposed to because somebody said to you, "Hey, Sasha, this is the canon. Make sure you know this." You'd approach it with a it'd be like almost like look at the Mona Lisa in the Louvre. It'd be like, "Well, oh, it's a painting, but you know, I've I've seen it a hundred million times. It's sort of lost its meaning now." Whereas if you go find something yourself, even if it's mega popular, the fact that you feel like you've discovered it, it kind of has an impact on you, doesn't it, in terms of how you might think in the future? And I think you have to work on that. I mean, in some ways, Stuart, it's quite interesting. But from, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm really glad I got educated. But what you have to do is you've got to look after that little creative spark. So many people have got so many opinions about what you do. And actually, they don't know. They don't know like you know, like you were saying about, um, you know, the, the Bob Dylan talking about, you know, you've got to have read whatever in the in the order that I've read. You've got to look after that little spark. And and the, the confidence of Vangelis is to go, I'm right. I'm doing it like this. You're going to like it. And actually they do, you know, they tend to or or if it, it you know, if it's not a commercial success, picking yourself up and going, it was great. I'm really glad I did it like that and not, you know, being beaten to someone to say, oh, well, you're the reason why this was a uh, not a success. No, it wasn't a success because Covid came along and Bond, Bond was coming out and it had to be shut down. It's no one else's fault. Um, so it's it's, you know, I keep coming back to this whole thing. It's confidence and confidence comes from either education or um, a fantastic inside, uh, inert, um, you know, uh, self-belief, which is something I don't think is taught in schools very much, much at all. You know, I wish it was. I wish people, you know, the people who put up their hands and and say, oh, why? Why all the time? You're like, be quiet. You're keeping the, you're keeping the rest of the class back. But actually, those are the interesting people, aren't they? Why? Why has it got to be done like that? Why don't we try it like this? But also, not only that, I mean, this is something, because I'm someone that came to to writing later in life. I didn't, I was not someone, I've, I mean, I've, I've been a journalist, but not not writing fiction. And and now the idea of um, of creative thinking being something that, is a process that's mine. It's not. Some, it's not somebody else's. I mean, I've I've observed other people. I've seen what what they say works for them, and I've tried some of it. Some of it works. Some of it didn't. But then you find your own sweet spot, and you begin to trust your own process, which I think is essentially what you're saying with this idea of confidence. Is that if I my my process might be if I write ten different post-it notes out, I'll find a story idea somewhere in there. But if I write nothing, I will get nothing. And but at school, you're taught there's a right answer. Now, obviously, writing out 10 post-it notes isn't going to get you the right answer. It's just going to give you 10 things to look at that might take you somewhere else, which isn't the way you're taught at school at all, is it? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, because I've got quite a lot of experience with writers. They were always around. Obviously, the producer works closely with the writers. We have Bruce Robinson around, a lovely guy uh, when I was very young called Jack Rosenthal. I don't know if you ever came across him. He used to write a lot of TV, Zeg cars and all that kind okay, of stuff. Okay, okay. Um, he was great, really great. And what was interesting, they used to always say that the characters start to talk through them. So I don't know what that's like because I'm not a writer. It's freaking. When we would when we were talking about how do you score a movie, you get to that point, whatever that point is, Stuart, that you've had where you're going, okay, well she's, oh god, she yeah, she's answered already. I know exactly what she'll say because here's her motivation. Boff, it's exact uh, the same only because I've studied music for so long. It's like oh, of course. Of course, of course, it's not an oboe. It's Vin Diesel. It's an electric guitar. <laughs> now, thinking of that point that you've studied music for so long, and obviously you're classically trained over at the Moscow Conservatory, um, one of the things that, as someone who's not 
from a classical music background, but but has listened to a lot of music scores, there is this weird, as and I can describe it as weird rivalry between a film composition and a classical music composition. And you might well have used the same orchestra to record two sets of music, but there's groups, there's fans of music that will say, "I will listen to this reworking of Wagner or or Stravinsky, but I wouldn't listen to this new piece of work that's for a film because that's not classical music." Why? Why does that? exist in the in the kind of in such a niche part of, of music as it were yeah but i think that that that's kind of that blur is going away now i mean if you look at really you know especially the classical music industry they've got to keep they've got to keep they've got to feed the orchestra and all that so they've got to learn to play games music you know that's what's happening right now um so Stuart, i've just lost a, an idea that you just gave me which is brilliant um oh shoot uh what were we saying about the oh crumbs it's just gone just lost that i'm getting I'm getting senile uh what but, but just remind me what did you say just then you said oh sorry what about just the idea of, of of classical music and film school music even though they could be made by the same musicians why why is one viewed superior to the other by a certain a certain certain voices in music as it were i mean i don't i don't know but again in, we're talking films so it really doesn't matter what the classical people uh, want but i remember the story now so i remember they were making a film called my life so far and uh, hugh who hugh hudson was directing it he wanted to put beethoven on there so they brought down um, they brought down Simon Rattle, loads of other people. I got to meet Mark Anthony Turnage and all, all these fantastic people. Did the did the score Simon Rattle, beautiful, great orchestra. Just didn't work. Just didn't work at all. Like even Hugh had done this thing with the fly fishing. Bum, 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 bum. Nah, just somehow just didn't fly. And what you realise, and even some of the, some very, very good, what you'd call the serious classical composers, when they score from films, it's too thick. It's just, you've got to love films so much that you want to hear that dialogue. You want to hear the story. You want to, you want the silence to pick up the nuance of, of what that look that someone's given you. The problem with coming in with just a straightforward Wagnerian feeling, and Wagner is too old to say, some of these people are absolutely brilliant when they're writing concert music, is a simplicity. And um, I tell you who gets it really, really well. We started at the same time, Alexander Desplat. He really gets the idea that actually you, it mustn't be too thick. So, you know, when you're writing a concert piece, no one's looking at anything. So you can have your main line, doubled line you can have a whole load of different instruments doubling up that line counter line a fugue underneath all these wonderful bits and pieces as soon as you start to put that on a movie it's too much it's like your brain starts to go oh god what on earth is going on if you look at a john barry score because he was jazz trained and listen both he could do everything really um gorgeous straight simple simple writing and so it comes back to that thing i was saying but before that when you're dealing with a film it's to have the confidence to be simple you know the the film composers who really really yeah the midnight express the very simple simple score but brilliant really really works well now one last question about about the spirit of cinema then that that, that sprung to mind is uh now you mentioned about that 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 discovery of the east london studio uh, and what that brought to it can you is it is there is there um is there any other sort of happy accidents that you recall from the process of making this 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 um this album that that 
that you couldn't imagine before. And it might be just the selection of the musician. It might be the the like like that instance, the location, but where you know your anticipation was X and you got Y, and then Y was like, no, this is what we need. Yeah, well, you definitely get when you go in to do a batch of say five tracks, the one that you think is going to be the winner rarely is it i mean that's always a good one because you know it's, it's been working but always some a different horse comes through to win and on the last batch i remember because it was sailing homeward which is the one that's just done astronomical number of streams um somehow it just all came together and I did with a sweet spot with the orchestra um but the the big full circle on 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 uh, um, spirit cinema was working with richard cottle because i'd admired him for so long richard is all over so many 80s hits so was always in the studio was He's in, the, he's in the studio with Trevor Horn. He's on pretty much all the records that I love. A brilliant man. His brother, Lawrence, is probably the best bass player in Britain. Lawrence Cottle. I mean, absolutely. They're both absolute geniuses. Brothers. So they got that lovely rivalry. But to get to work with Richard was a dream come true. Really good. And also, you know, the other thing, this is my ego can speak a little bit, you know, holding my own with Richard. That was that was a really that was just good. That felt really, really good. And when he turned to me, he goes, oh, yeah, that's pretty good. Um, that was a lovely moment. And sometimes I think as a human being, you just need that. So let's remind people then, how and where can they get Spirit of Cinema? Um, you can, well, it's, it's on all, you know, this is what's happened to the music industry. It's all over the streaming sites. Best thing you can do is if you find me on Spotify, follow me on Spotify and get, and, um, you know, just like the playlist. That's the best thing you can possibly do. Then what happens, it will go into your playlist and it gets played. Uh, all of those lovely things. What I will do in February, though, Stuart, and I'll, and I'll send this over to you, is vinyl and i will print some cds but i want to do that i don't want to do plastic cds i think we're off plastic now i'm trying to find a company that will do something really special so that actually it's a really gorgeous cd because it's a lot especially a lot of the older guys they just they still got their cd player so i just want to do something very special for them and you know the different media will come out but find find me on spotify or, or apple music whichever whichever well one i'll, I'll you, put a link in with. the show notes sasha so people can do that easy enough that would be fantastic so i mean stuart forgive me because i i do go around the houses um and i think one of the things that i have that's different to other film, film composers my sister's in costumes my dad was a producer um, you know, every, I kind of know every single part of the making of a film so that when I get a film at the at the end, I know what's gone into it. I know that they've just spent three years trying to finance the picture, that the script has gone through 10 alterations before it even gets here. So the so when people come to us with with uh, post-production, you really know the journey they've been on already. And it's really up to you not to drop that ball. 
you know, you've really got to bring something brilliant to the party. And and this, again, the, the whole thing with Spirit Cinema, reminding myself about a theme so that when that director goes up to get his award, boom, that's what plays and that is the movie. Those, even it could be just a five-note theme, bang, that's exactly identifies the movie. Oh, no, I, I, totally, I totally agree. I mean, the... the um... I mean, sadly, passed away far too young. Uh, Johan Johansson, who did um, who did the score for uh, Sicario, and I didn't think it was possible, but he's managed. He managed to musically create what I can only imagine is the sound of the military-industrial complex. But he's managed yeah. to make that in music. Yeah, absolutely right. And actually, you know that that's a really big, big point. That is a step forward. That, that he does on the double basses again, which. It, it's it's not even hard. I mean, it's, it's hard to get that sound even if you get a bunch of double bass players. So for some reason, his presence in the studio making them do that was amazing. Actually, that's the, the what what old um, um, Rupert Gregson Williams has done beautifully with a solo uh, double bassist on this Alienist. If you go and go and listen to it, um, but but again, that's texture, isn't it? But I guess that's the same. That's the same as. Having that really, really simple rhythm, and the lovely story in that that that, that uh, you know, poor old uh, uh, what's it, Spielberg is like a bloody hell, is that going on my movie? <laughs> yeah, but suddenly when it's dressed up with its simplicity, bang! I mean, that means danger. Well, yeah, I mean, but I never, I never appreciate this. I saw an interview with um, there's a drone rock artist called a band called Earth, and the main guitarist in it. I mean, their their whole raison d'etre is about. Is about less notes and more about the drone and the sustaining, and and what he's and I didn't know why I liked it, but I always did like it. And I saw an interview with him, and he said people find their own melody in the oscillations themselves. And I was like, suddenly I'm listening to all music like that now, even the most poppiest music. I'm going, no, it's it's I'm finding something unique to me, and I guess that's subjectivity as well, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, so in music, you get the beautiful harmonic series. Do you tell which just which is in every single note and the genius of when you go back into Bach, Beethoven, Mozart, when they score a chord, usually that very final chord at the end of a symphony, um, it's it's absolutely in tune with the harmonic series. Now, science was fairly nascent back then. How they knew that they were absolutely tapping into all of exactly the right uh, notes of the harmonic series is what makes some incredible geniuses today but, and today i you know they're they're we're in a new world now but it that that's the fascination with going back into the history of music uh it's fact it's funny i did a gig with um uh, ben wolfish who's a very very good composer he's very very good um and i'd scored uh it was it was on, on one of these pieces and i'd scored the the last um uh, chord to i can't remember what it was the mission or something like that and it was so funny because he then goes to me oh, why don't we put the let's put the flute above there and we did it and bang that slight change just absolutely changed the chord completely um, so he's got it. He's absolutely got that that being in tune with how um, how to yeah how to play with the resonances of, of 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 nature. You know that's what it is. You jump you're jumping on the back of nature.
thank you very much for giving us your time on the Britflix podcast. It's been a pleasure to oh, talk Stuart, to you. I could, I could be here all day. Forgive me. I'm all around the, around the houses, but uh, there's so much, so much to say. So yeah, if you put the links in there with for, for Spirit Cinema, give it a give it a whirl. Give it a whirl, and even even the Bee Gees one, which I'm very proud of, the first uh, of May, because that's how uh, my my mum and dad met um, when they were very very young. It's quite they're quite, it's quite a love story. My mum was 13 at school, and uh, my dad uh, asked her on a date, and uh, they got married when she was 17, and it was all t- it was all to this lovely Bee Gees stuff. So that that track particular is uh, is is the reason we have a, a whole family today. Congratulations on the album, and it just gives me to say thank you very much. Lovely, Stuart. Fantastic. Thank you. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. 
New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.